All right, everyone, welcome to Single-Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm a journalist and podcaster, uh, actor, model, singer. Those last three are made up. But uh, yeah, you should check out my work. Blotch Report is my main gig, blotchreport.org. We just had a very uh, entertaining private episode go up this week about the history of the um, word non-binary. Katie Herzog, my co-host, looked into that. Also check out jessysingle.substack.com. I had a little bit to say, but there's so many. We've got five callers already in the queue. Screw it. Let's just go to Abe. What's up, Abe? My spiel can wait. Oh, hey, Jesse. How you doing? Good. How are you? Oh, doing okay. I guess I got to ask, this Matt Walsh documentary is pretty hilarious, just watching it all unfold and everyone's mad. And I don't know. I kind of think he's on the money. He's kind of like Phil Moore in the sense of when I agree with him. He just has the most obnoxious way of explaining things. And I guess I just curious on your thoughts yeah so uh matt walsh the the conservative activist and i guess filmmaker went to he posted a clip uh where he went to i'm just explaining to everyone unfamiliar with this he went to a, a remote african tribe and asked them about like basically transgenderism and he's responding to the idea you sometimes see on the left that indigenous people just happen to have beliefs about gender that match up with like those of 2022 progressives this has always been a very stupid claim because the vast majority of indigenous people, including those with their genders, don't have beliefs that line up with, with progressives in America in 2022. Why would they? This is sort of a weird version of the noble savage trope. I tweeted – I very much disagree with Matt Walsh. I tweeted, tweeted that you sort of have to give him credit because he traveled all the way to remote Africa in, in – uh, remote village in Africa just to trigger the libs. Uh, so I reluctantly have to give him some credit. I guess this is, Abe, is this part of like a whole documentary he's doing on the question of what a woman is? Yeah, is it's like, okay. it's him like interviewing, uh, you know, activists. And, you know, he's talking about like a chicken. It's like, if I saw a chicken laying an is that chicken, right. a, you know, stuff like that. It's like... Yeah, so I think he's responding to, like, sort of a straw man, but a real one. Like, you do see, like, progressives make this argument about indigenous people. I think the vast majority of progressives know that it's a stupid argument, but it's like, I don't know. Don't If you don't want conservatives to do shit like this, don't give them ammo. It's sort of the whole inability to answer the question what a woman is puts us on the defensive when I think there's, you can say it's an adult human female, but if, like me, you think we should mostly respect people's self-idea, you can say in most situations you should include trans women in that category. There might be a few where you don't, but uh, I just think it's like a giant own goal to pretend that people don't know what a woman is when in 99% of the world, this is not a controversy. Just, it makes progressives like stupid and weak and um, brainwashed, frankly. So I just, I think it's a bad look. I don't think it actually helps trans activism. Uh, yeah. I think I'm with you there, but uh, that's pretty much all I had. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for the call, Abe. A-A-B-B-B slash colon something. What's up? Hello, Jesse. Hello. I have uh, a suggestion for you. Uh, it can't come from, in part from, I think, the last column you did. Uh, I think you really need to start putting clips on YouTube. I think that you're missing out by not doing that. Clips of the show. Um, you mean blocked or reported or this yeah. or both? Yeah. Well, well, you could do both. I mean, that's a good idea as well. I don't but know you mostly you're mean allowed to do this, or I mean yeah. anything that you're involved in. It's a good idea to do, for a few reasons. Um, 
one, I mean, like you've noticed, I'm sure that, you know, Glenn Lowry and uh, Bobby Ward, I've started doing this for their show. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, like I follow a few streamers um, and this is something they consistently do. And it, I think it's like an investment. It pays for itself. Um, all you have to do is just sort of put, you know, a few five, ten minute clips of a show that you're already doing. Like just hire someone who edits it and takes out the, you know, exciting parts for every episode. Um, you and might, Katie's racial slurs. I have to cut those yeah, out. Yeah, edits those out. Um, but yeah, you, you, all you would need to do is just do the show like you normally do and then have someone you say, hey, you know, go through, find the exciting parts, edit it up into a little video and put it up, you know, twice a week or whatever. What you could even do also is do it for the premium episodes um, and have a little teaser so people are interested then in... Watch. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to cut you off only because I agree with you and I'm going to bring this to Katie. I think we should do it. I think it's a one-time... Well, not a one-time cost because you want to keep it. It's a cheap cost, and then you have you have yourself on a whole other platform yeah, where it'll exactly. pop up. And it's okay. an investment. It pays. I think it'll pay for itself. Probably. I mean, no, no way of knowing for sure. But another. I mean, it's important if you're going to hire someone to do it. You have to pick someone who knows what yeah. they're doing. Um, in part because it, part of it's editing. Part part of it's like you know massaging the YouTube algorithm to. Uh, you know, have the right thumbnail and tags and all these like titles, etc., clickbait type stuff. But if they can do that well, and for instance, I mean, I you can might consider asking like I know you've talked to Destiny before. You might ask if he has anyone he would recommend you to. Do the streamers have? Ooh, that's a good that, call. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's simple. I think it pays for itself. You don't have to do anything extra, and it's the fact that you're not doing it, you're missing opportunity. You're missing out. I think you're right. Uh, anything, all? anything uh, else? That's it for now. No, I think that's it for now. Thank you very much. I uh, can't argue with that. I'm going to try to get on that. Jacob, what is all up? Right. Hey, Jesse. How's it going? Good. How are you? I am uh, doing okay, thanks. Uh, just uh, dealing with my Manhattan landlord trying to jack up my rent 40%. So living the my dream. 40%. I had um, – there's guys working on the stairs of my building, like laying down new carpeting. And I was like, oh, shit. And I asked him if that means the landlord is uh, selling the building. And thankfully they said no because I would have been screwed. But I'm sorry about your rent increase. But such is life in Manhattan and Brooklyn yeah, for that matter. It's uh, hitting all of us who live on the island pretty hard. And I may have to lower myself to move into Brooklyn. <laughs> At least I'll be closer to the Verso loft. So there's that. There you go. Yeah, I actually wanted to uh, talk about trans issues, too. It looks like the first caller stole my thunder. One of my very far-left friends is currently reading Abigail Schreier's Irreversible Damage. Uh -oh. And uh, we've been, I read it shortly after it came out a little while ago. We've just been discussing the book. And he was, we were talking about the idea that a lot of, you know, women's spaces, like women's prisons, women's colleges, women's sports teams, etc., were not necessarily filled with women who necessarily wanted trans women to be entering those spaces, competing in women's sports, etc., etc., and how it's not really an issue as much in men's spaces. And this, I know that you're somebody who pays attention a lot to this, so I'm wondering if you're aware of, you know, has there been any consistent 
polling showing that men are more likely to welcome men, trans men in men's spaces, allowing trans men to compete, you know, in the NBA or and NCAA D1 kind of teams, et cetera, and how that issue is, is on the other side. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I want to say YouGov and Pink – well, okay, Pink News is a joke, but they hired YouGov to do some polling on, on the Brits, which is useful polling on things like self-ID. I think they asked the question both ways. I'm not sure I'm familiar with polling on this. It just – and I know, like, relying on your intuitions for an empirical question is dumb, but, like, it seems so obvious to me that, like, I was at a Celtics game last week. The idea that anyone waiting in line for the urinals in the men's room would give a shit if a trans guy was there. Because, like, the whole, you know, the whole thing is premised on this idea that, like, you know, especially for folks who haven't transitioned, there is this undercurrent of a threat because it's a male person whether that's fair or unfair people disagree and i i think trans i think most cis women probably don't care if it's like they're not checking you're usually just in a stall it's not usually an issue i don't get the sense any men care about this the other way i think there's very little concern about it in sports um I think there's actually a couple college athletes where trans men went on testosterone and then competed on men's teams without incident uh so no, I just I don't think it's an issue in that direction, and I think that's because we see, you know, women's spaces as segregated or protected for um, valid reasons. Yeah, and on that point, actually, Megan Kelly a few weeks back on her podcast, I believe it was with Dave Rubin, but I could be wrong, was joking about the what. So the left would do if a middle-aged, talentless, straight white man transitions and starts competing against Serena Williams and Venus Williams and Naomi Osaka in tennis. And, oh, what would the left say if a mediocre white man is suddenly destroying records sent by set by trailblazing women of color? And it was, like, very tongue-in-cheek, but I actually do think that there is a little bit of a there there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's it. You know, there was just a Times article that covered this in a pretty good and balanced way. This has always been a the full self ID position that people literally are what they say they are, and there can be no exceptions. Has never been popular, and there's been this attempt to sort of browbeat and bully in liberal spaces and make it so you can't talk about it. I think that's coming to an end, and it was never a sustainable strategy to say these are the new rules. You you can't dispute them. So. Um, yeah, I think we're going to – I don't know. I think, like, for major outlets, we're going to see things uh, continue to trend in a good direction. I know of one um, – there's some stuff on the horizon for, in a major outlet that's going to further make the conversation more sane and balanced. So, that's yeah. interesting. And then, uh, yeah, just uh, finally, change the subject a little bit, but also to stay on it. Your profile on Transgender Maps says that you're from a Hindu family, and you've only publicly talked about being Jewish. So just wondering about your Hindu side. Yeah, that's uh, this is a very crazy person who is more or less a stalker and has like gone after my friends and family member and tried to rope this as Andrea James. Just people should Google Andrea James and Alice Drager. They will see the quality of her research. I'm obviously not Hindu. She, uh, I think you were probably asking that tongue in cheek, but she's a crazy person who gets a lot of stuff actually wrong. And who I think basically stole 22 or $23,000 of crowdfunded money. She was going to build a machine learning tool to find and punish the transphobes. That's what she claimed. 
even though I don't think such a thing could exist with uh, current technology, at least not accurately. So, yeah, people should look at Andrea James. Andrea James, she's a character. But uh, thank you for the call, Jacob. Have a good I'm day. Sorry, I cannot tell you more about my Hinduism. Patrick, what is up? So the lady from uh, Galileo's Middle Finger uh, was going to build a Minority Report type device to find transphobes. It's it's fucking crazy, man. She like if you go to um, the Transphobia Project, which I highly recommend, you'll see the Kickstarter page is still up. Even though she has no technical background, she claimed to have developed technology that can. The idea seemed to be a guilt by association thing where the algorithm will give you a higher score if you write for publications also known to publish transphobes. But I think it's like this question begging thing where, where the algorithm never defines who's a transphobe, except it's bizarre, but it got uh, credulous write-ups uh, in the Kickstarter in-house magazine on Axios, uh, one other outlet. And then she basically seems to have taken this money. I think my theory is she hired private investigators to dig up dirt on anyone close to me because she published all these profiles of people, many of whom have only the most tangential relationship with me. And in some cases dug up details about like long ago, legal entanglements and stuff that you cannot find online. If you Google them that I really think would require public records requests. I can't say for sure, but I think she really just took that money and used it to like stalk people. She sees as associated with me, which if you're at all familiar with her from Galileo's middle finger, this would not be out of character at all. So it's pretty fucked up. That is bonkers. Like yeah. crazy. Okay. Yeah. Well, moving away from uh, the uh, Pride Month discourse, uh, <laughs> wanted to bring you back to uh, the Ultimate Discourse, Gamer Corner. So I saw that uh, you finally maybe started playing Elden Ring. Yes, I have, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so how is it going so far? I saw that you're feeling uh, the experience of getting in there and just being absolutely crushed by every living thing. Yeah. For folks who aren't gamers, Elden Ring, it's a, a the company that makes it is called From Software. They make these notoriously difficult games that are like very sort of dark mythological settings. And the trademark is the games are fucking impossible and you just keep dying. And there's very little explanation of the mechanics of what often of what items do. So, I, I find it compelling so far. I'm starting to at least get the hang of it so that stuff doesn't kill me instantly. And I can understand why people lose hundreds of hours to these games because this is um, unlike I think the other games aren't really open world. This is like a huge open world you can explore. You have like a magical horse that you can ride wherever you want. Uh, but yeah, you'll just be like wandering around exploring a beach and then suddenly there'll be a giant hulking ogre that just smacks you once and you die. So it's a... It's a lot like being alive. Bad stuff happens. There's no explanation why. The visuals are good. A lot of stuff's pretty. It's it's basically just a uh, parable for life. Uh, yeah, I can say that I had the same experience with it. I tried some of the other FromSoft games uh, when I first started out, and I pretty much rage quit all of them except for Sekiro because of uh, like going from like Kingdom Hearts, where it's a game that's designed for anyone to play, to going to this more like it's designed to like teach you how to play was just very frustrating. Yeah. They put in the time. I got good uh, to use uh, internet parlance. Get and, good. Yeah, and it, I, it was rewarding. It was very fun. There's some kind of, like, catharsis you get when the monster that's been killing you for an hour, you finally slay yeah. it. Uh, a lot of expletives come out of your mouth every time and uh, makes you feel like a king for 12 seconds. Did you beat, did you so, beat the game? How, how many hours have you put into it? Yeah, so I beat it twice. So I probably put in... So the first time it was like probably close to like 
a hundred hours. Yeah. The second time, uh, it was only like 40. Um, thank you pandemic. Um, uh, but, uh, it was fun. Uh, my last question would be what kind of build did you decide to go with for starters? Uh, I started off, I'm already blanking on the name. I started off as one of the ones that, and I'm sure this is fascinating to the non-gamers. I'll wrap it up. I started off as a, uh, fuck. It was one of the ones where it, it both have melee capabilities and magic, but I realized that because all the mechanics were so new to me, uh, and I was starting completely from scratch in like the FromSoft system, I started again as a warrior. I'm going straight melee. I haven't figured out exactly like what the build will be, but I'm just not worrying about magic for this first playthrough because uh, I just it'll be easier to not to just focus on basically like strength, vigor, endurance to the extent possible. Okay. Well, I hope you have fun on your Elden Ring journey. I'll let you get to other people. Thank you. Thank you, everyone else, for not... I mean, I, I should... I, this is not a knock on Patrick. I like talking about this, but I'm glad no everyone else didn't flee the room on mass for folks who don't know what we're talking about. Klaus, please, no gaming questions. Not a gaming question. Um, I wanted to talk about this sort of topic. Um, I think it was discussed in a previous episode. Like, to what extent say trans or non-binary identity among youth is a fad versus a genuine social acceptance. And I want to take a step back and just ask like methodologically, how would we differentiate to what extent it's a fad versus to what extent it's social acceptance? Like what are the markers we would expect from one versus the other? It's a really good question. I mean, I think the easiest way would just be you track kids over time or you ask survey questions like, um, you know, how many times have you changed your mind about your gender identity? And I think what makes this particularly complicated is, look, there's a subset of kids who are just going to cycle through different identities but have no interest in like I've been focusing on, on youth gender medicine, on the physical interventions, because that's a new area of medicine, at least in this use case for blockers. And it's um, I think the evidence is really shaky. I'm less concerned with kids who just like mess around with different identities. I don't really care if a kid like spends three months non-binary the same way in a pre previous era they would have like been a goth for three months and everyone's I'm, I'm sorry but everyone knows there's some of that going on to figure out how much yeah i think you need to ask people kids whether their gender identity has changed over time um there might be some useful data you could get from gender clinics themselves although they're going to get the kids who are interested in in physically transitioning mostly so it's a different subset um I don't. I think a lot of surveys are not necessarily built in the right way to answer these questions because they're just like very enthusiastically trying to be like, yes, look how much acceptance there are. Ten percent of uh, you know Gen Zers are something, um, which is fine and interesting. But I'm with you. I think it would be useful to have better data on this. And the best way I can think of is to ask how many times kids change their identity, uh, and then maybe when you know when this cohort of kids are you know, 20 to 30, you could ask them how they identify then and, and see if it changed over time. So I think that'd be the easiest and most straightforward way. I, I, I in terms of my own views on the uptick, I, I just think it's a combination of both. I think it's some kids who feel more comfortable announcing what will be a durable identity. But like, again, the idea that there's no social influence here is just bonkers because you go to any place online where there's teenagers and you see people announcing not only their gender identities but their mental disorders or their alters and they they of course they get validation for it that's that's how things are now uh 
which like side note, I'd, I'd rather have people get validated for that than, than bullied for it. Not that there isn't some of that. So, uh, does that, did I more or less answer the question? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it just seems it, a lot of, because a lot of times I hear, well, it's popular among youth and, you know, especially teenage girls. And that's the group that tends to, you know, suffer anorexia and other sorts of fads like that. Yeah. And it seems kind of compelling to me, but I could I could play devil's advocate and say, well, maybe they're the most accepting too. And maybe people that heavy social media users do it because, you know, it's people are more accepting there than they would be in mainstream media. So it just seems like without the sort of surveys you're talking about, we're really relying on some sort of deeper intuition when we form our opinion on this than kind of a raw evaluation of the data. No, I mean, I'm with you. And I, I also think there's probably huge sort of heterogeneity in that, like, if you are a high schooler in Berkeley, California, or Cambridge, Mass, or other, like, true liberal enclaves, I don't I don't see how anyone could deny that you don't gain some currency and validation from from coming out as trans. But that's pretty different from like having to walk down a dark city street in a less, you know, uh, validating neighborhood as someone who's like clearly gender nonconforming. I still think there's probably some danger there and certainly, you know, not as much acceptance. So I think it's like a big country with a lot of stuff going on. But I think the places where this is going on the most are are liberal bubbles. Although, as I say that, I realize you would also expect, if it, if it was just acceptance, that's also where you'd expect the most kids to come out. So I think it's tricky to untangle this, and I just hope there's there's better data on it soon. I don't think it's like a methodologically impossible question. You just need to see how often people change their minds over time. That would be a good start. Right. Yeah, it just, it, it seems like, yeah, it, it's just hard to really answer right now. But yeah, thank you people, and people shouldn't and, pretend uh, they have the answer. They often do. All right, and uh, go Warriors. No! Got banned forever. Go Celtics, you bet. That was a bug in the software. He said go Celtics, but it just came out as... uh, It got delivered to your ears as go Warriors. Adam, what is up? Hey, Jesse, can you hear me? I can. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. Welcome. Um, Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, it, Let me get out the earnest, cringy thing uh, out of the way first, which is really respect uh, what you and Katie do. Um, Thank you. The intellectual honesty. It's it's something that's uh, lacking out there right now. So just get that out of the way. But I should hasten to add that you're basically directly responsible for my first cancellation that I've Uh experienced. Um, What happened? So I I recently posted... um, I mean, it was to me. It felt totally innocuous. It was a, uh, it was a tweet from Fire, uh, the Greg Lukianoff, Jonathan Haidt uh, organization, basically, which said something to the effect of like stifling dissent is uh, is a way to make is to is a way to become structurally stupid. The yeah. more you you stifle dissent, and uh, you know, I mean, it was like one of the least offensive things I could think of. Uh, it didn't didn't think anything of it when I reposted it. Anyway, long story short. Uh, a very close friend of mine that I went to uh, went to grad school with <clears throat> um, basically sent me a twenty message screed. Uh, oh, like, I can't, oh my I can't, god! I can't believe you've become uh, just off of that one thing. I mean, we didn't. There was no additional conversations. I can't believe you've become this person. Uh, this guy argues against trigger warnings. He he argues against structural racism. Da da da. I mean, it's just this paroxysm of. of 
crap, basically. I'm sorry. That's really alarming, especially when it's someone you know well rather than like an right. internet rando. Totally, totally. So anyway, um, you know, basically at, at the end of the conversation, I mean, I finally engaged with her and I said, listen, you know, you know how much I respect you. You know how much I do anything for you. We've been friends for years and years and years. Um, I'm just saying that I disagree with you on some of these things. That's it. They're just their ideas that you and I disagree with. And her basic retort was, yeah, but it makes me feel like you're attacking me as a person. Um, and, and well, it's no like offense to her, but that's pretty fucking pathetic. I mean, that's a sign of like, I'm sorry, but that's sort of a sign of immaturity. Is it not? Yeah, that's my feeling too. I mean, I hate to say that. And, and I, 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 that was sort of in my mind as I was thinking about how to respond to it, which is like, you've, I, I just think she's taken a very sort of immature intellectual approach. And it's disappointing because she's a much smarter person that, you know, she's really traveled down this Robin D'Angelo, Ibram Kendi thing. And I sort of went there with her, you know, we were kind of doing like a book club during that whole, the height of all of that. And after the George Floyd killing, and I just, we we went totally opposite directions and, yeah. and we just can't bridge the gap. So anyway, I guess I was just calling basically to say, <clears throat> Um, you know, thanks for what you do. Uh, and, uh, it sucks that it leads to things like this because I do, I can sort of draw a line from the time I started listening to you and Katie and like, I'm like, Oh yeah, I start to see things a little differently, become a little more outspoken. Yeah. Now, you know, this happens. So I don't know if you've had a similar experience with any like close personal friends or how you might. You might I've had it very that. rare. I, I mean, first of all, I, I want to just yeah. say to her that you're an immature person and you're terrible, and I don't want to be friends. No, no, with no, and I feel I'm not meaning to sound judgmental because she's yes, maybe she's probably dealing with her own social pressure. Like, there's a lot of like creepily coercive sort of self policing and surveillance in liberal spaces because I think people's brains melted because of Trump and because of the protests and everything. I've experienced this very rarely. I like I've really only actually lost one friend, and it was a friend who. This will sound like sort of me convenient, but he was a friend who was like very, my most troubled friend, um, mm-hmm. and he once lashed out at me over actually over something Katie said via text, and I was just like, "Yeah, I'm not going to denounce Katie because you're upset about something <laughs> she said," and that was that was sort right. of it. Uh, no, it's tricky, man. I, I think your your yeah. your your approach is right. If people can't accept that they're going to have to deal with people they otherwise like disagreeing with them, I mean, this is a country that can't even decide whether or not Donald Trump is a good guy. There's much bigger right. disagreements than like, oh no, you liked a post by someone from fire. So I'm sorry you yeah, went through that, yeah, I, but I just I, think a lot of people are not being reasonable right now. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for what you do. I'm glad to know that uh, there's folks like you out there doing doing the work. Uh, appreciate it. That's very nice of you. And I appreciate <laughs> doing Do the work. Do the, do work. the work. Thank you for the call. That's right. Thanks. Carmike Ben, a.k.a. Is that Carmike? Car mic drop, car mic drop. I like that. It's a good name. What's up, Ed? Dude, it's even more confusing when you read it out loud. I, I, uh, I hadn't done that when I said it. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, there's so many great calls today, and I, I, there's so many directions I could go in with my questions. Um, <clears throat> before I ask my question, I did want to echo an earlier caller who said uh, that you guys might benefit from the YouTube clips. Um, I found out about Blocked and Reported from a YouTube interview that I think you and Katie did with someone else i don't even remember who it was but oh cool the podcast services don't have a great discovery algorithm i don't think so it can be yeah youtube can definitely be a good platform for that but anyway my question is about i guess more broadly somewhat on topic uh but i i 
have been noticing a trend that I don't really know if there's a word for it, but it feels like there's kind of this backlash to our uh, biology and to our nature, to, uh, you know, nature itself, to other animals. There seems to be like this increased feeling of separation that goes, you know, very broadly out, I think, in general. But I guess to, to me, what, what I feel like is interesting about the, the, the uh, trans issue is that in other animals, we, we observe, obviously, different sexes in these different species. And each of these sexes have different sex roles within these species. And some species have drastically different sex roles between the males and females. And some of them have completely identical roles but we refer to those as sex roles in other animals. I was just wondering if you had any insight into why we don't use that terminology with humans, why it is that we think humans are different than animals, why we call sex role gender, and just if you just have any insight into that that area. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, when, when you described that, it made me think of, like, Steven Pinker's arguments. Have you read The Blank Slate by Steven no, Pinker? No, I, I have not. That that's the absolutely the book you should okay. read on this issue. His he makes all the arguments that I think you're getting at. Um, I think a lot of lefties, when they see biological research noting that like males and females in different species have different roles, they jump to the idea that those of us who endorse that research are like making a deterministic argument that that it's an is it's the is ought distinction, describing how things are versus how they ought to be now. Male and female sloths having different child-rearing roles does not tell us anything about how humans should be. Like, we, we have abstract thought. We have argumentation. We can try to shape society in whatever image we want. Mm-hmm. That's a different question from whether, on average, males and females might have different interests and, and whether they're physically different, which we know they are. So my experience has yeah. just been – I would find it shocking if there were no um, – overlapping but difference like overlapping differences you know two two curves overlapping in terms of male versus female interest just because we did evolve very differently with different pressures like i would find that i find that to basically be a form of evolution denialism and i've never seen a compelling account of how you know once you if you could control for strip away culture and pressure which of course you can't how you wouldn't be left with something like that. I might, I, I haven't looked that deep into this data, so I don't want to fully endorse it, but my understanding mm-hmm. is like when you look at Scandinavian countries with more gender equity than we have in the States, you find bigger differences in interest. Once you, once you free people to pursue their most intrinsically interesting uh, or motivating interests, there are some male female divides. And I, right, I, just, yeah. I don't you think we need to. that there would be differences yeah. in result. Yeah. And I don't want to cower in the shadows because some right wing internet chud is going to be like, oh, that means women belong in the kitchen. And it doesn't mean that. It, it can mean right. a lot of different things. And, and we. So, yeah, that's my overall view on it. I, I find that the sex differences stuff really. Um, really bizarre and, and a demoralizing example of like sort of the left being anti-science in a way we accuse the right of being. Yeah. I definitely feel the, the, the same inclination. It feels very pseudoscientific and not open to inquiry. Um, so I, I appreciate that perspective. I'll definitely check out the book. Definitely um, I, read I the also, blank slate. Yep. Sorry, before go. I jump off, I don't want to take much time away from the, the other callers, but 
uh, just some some Elden Ring tips to help help you out in your journey. Uh, runes don't matter, and uh, pay attention to attribute scaling. That's a term that might not make sense. But... Wait, how do runes not matter given that you use them to buy everything? Well, it's just that if you lose them, you lose them. You'll there's always more. There's a ton. Okay, yeah, yeah I've already don't like worry, a couple times I've lost like. Out. Yeah, a couple times I've lost like a couple thousand rooms, and I think because I'm so early on, I think that's a lot, but I've realized yeah. you get them back pretty quickly. You get them back quickly. Attribute that's scaling, good. I think I understand, so I'm going to keep an eye on that. But uh, that's thank you for the call. Check. For sure. Yeah. Thank you. A is going to be the last caller. Anyone else in this room who I didn't get to who's already in the queue, if you show up for the next one and send a message to the group that you were waiting last time, I'll bump you to the front next time. But A is going to be the last caller for now. Go ahead, A. Hey, Jesse, how are you keeping? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad at all. I just wanted to talk a little bit, um, I, know, I don't think it's come up today, but uh, it's been discussed in some of your recent shows about uh, school shootings and mass shootings and just um, some ideas I've been thinking of myself about things, interventions that could possibly make a difference. And I just wanted to run some of the by and see what you think. I might be underqualified, but I'm happy to hear you out and let, let you know what I think. Cool, thanks. Uh, the first one is kind of like from the Ted Cruz and the kind of um, we need to harden the schools. Uh, models or uh, school of thought and um, you know some of their recent ideas have been that like they need single entry points to schools uh, and they need to, or, or perhaps uh, armed teachers and I think both of those ideas won't really be effective and could be counterproductive but I think a really obvious idea that they haven't uh, come up with yet or haven't come out with yet that could really be effective is um, that we need to arm more kids and that we need more good kids with guns just to take care of the bad kids with guns. What do you think of that one? Yeah, I'm skeptical of a lot of these. I mean, the arming teachers thing is something that a lot of conservatives take seriously. My understanding is like, well, first of all, if you have a school with 50 teachers, that's just 50 guns who inevitably, they're not going to keep them secured or like, um, like people leave guns lying around. I just, but also my sense is like, you need a huge amount of training to actually be able to effectively use a firearm in a real world situation in like such a chaotic, I mean, I don't know. I'm skeptical of it. My, my basic take is like, I think a lot of our gun violence comes down to the sheer number of guns we have in this country. And I, I'm sort of skeptical of enter any intervention that doesn't, reduce the number of guns, but I think reducing the number of guns is basically impossible at this point because of the political dysfunction. Um, I do need to look more into this. I wrote about some of this for my newsletter and a couple like expert types emailed me and said I was being too pessimistic, but I am very pessimistic about it. I, I think we're caught in a horrible problem on this subject, and I think the va the overwhelming vast majority of gun deaths are not in these like horrible high-profile mass school shootings. They're just kids getting shot every day on the streets and we never hear about it. And suicides are an even bigger gun violence problem. So uh, I know I'm not yet in favor of arming kindergartners with AR 15s, but um, I don't know. We'll see. I think just keep an open mind about it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm only joking, obviously. Like, those no, no. I can tell from the accent that you're going to be less, uh, not to stereotype, but you're going to be less uh, pro gun than the average American. Most likely. That's actually quite offensive. I'm very uh, pro two A, uh, <laughs> but uh, no. My, my second actual proposal would be like I saw Bernie Sanders recently tweeting about um, that you should just go back to the ban of assault weapons, and he cited some statistics about like the drop off and in, in mass and in, in, uh, uh, mass shootings, etc. When the when the ban was enforced versus the increase when the, when it um, when they were allowed again. And like that seems an obvious one, especially yeah. from someone looking from the outside. But I actually don't think that's even 
uh, remotely politically possible in America at the moment with all the polarization. But I do think I'd, I'd be in favor of it. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, going back to the status quo of the assault. It was I think it was Clinton era the assault weapon ban. Yeah, yeah, that 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 seems to be like definitely a reasonable starting point. But I just don't think that's in any way politically possible. But something I think that actually could be politically possible would just. Uh, like a light version of that, which would be just to put an age restriction on like uh, those assault weapons to like height at like 28, let's say, or like 10 years or so above like 18. And that would just preclude all these like mass shooters, kid mass shooters, or like young, angry, disaffected men from legally obtaining these like weapons of war. And by the time that, you know, they could legally own them, hopefully, you know, they're just less likely to engage in that kind of crime at, at an order. Yeah, age, I'm not I'm not a, I'm with you. I'm not a two way expert, but I'm guessing something like a 25 or 28 year old age limit would not survive uh, Second Amendment scrutiny like in the courts. But I, I myself have no uh, no problem with that. And, and I will say, like, I think as it's often the case in America, like the the more crusading solutions, the kind of stuff I would be in favor in if I, if I ran the world, which would just be like just way fewer guns and less powerful guns. I think that's not going to happen, but I actually think there's like a glimmer of hope in the way the, the phrase common sense gun reform has at least caught on, including among like, you know, David French set conservatives. I, I just think that's like provides us some hope because I do think there are some policies involving things like, like licensing that are hopefully doable. I'm just, like you, I'm skeptical anything is going to get done at this point. Yeah, I, I, the last thing I'd say about this is, like, it just baffles me, like, from an outsider, obviously, that, like, the country that could put a man on the moon in the 1960s can't figure out, like, mass shootings and school shootings and stuff. Like, it's just, it beggars belief, really. Like. It's incredibly demoralizing, yeah. Okay, cheers. Good luck. Anyway, thank you, thank you for the call. Let's, let's end on that pessimistic note. I have emailed myself the names of the folks in the queue now, um, but if you join the next episode, which will be tomorrow or Saturday, uh, just nudge me. Remind me you were in the queue. I'll bump you to the front. I'm sorry I didn't get you guys. For everyone else, uh, thank you for the calls. They were really good calls today, and thank you for listening. And if you like what I'm doing, please uh, spread the word. Let's grow this, uh, this show a little bit. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good Thursday. Go Celtics.